baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. What are you doing? What are you doing? I'm you know there's a camera button. You could turn the camera off for certain I'm actually doing a COVID test live on the air right now. I'm going to come back into the studio tomorrow, and I want to make sure that you guys are safe. So I'm literally doing – I have the thing up my nose right now. I'm going cold, Kath. You're like, <gasps> oh, it's so annoying. Pluck your eyebrows on camera next, or what? Jeez. Are you I going all the way up want... there? Are you tickling wow. the brain there? Uh, oh, boy, six. that wasn't fun. Yeah. 10 to 15 uh, swirls inside yep. each nostril. Right? Oh, my God. Have we all figured out right. now, like, without, can you do a COVID test now without reading the manual and how to do it? Well, they're all, I feel like they're, they're all, all different. different I know. Now. So these are the government ones they sent me, and. I don't know that they've ever come back positive, even though like a blood test would show COVID. I, I don't even know if you could trust them anymore. They should have gotten better, but I don't yeah. even know if they were. Can you set it in front of the camera so like we see the results before you do? That'd be fun. Well, it has to lay flat. <laughs> oh, fine. I can, I'll, uh, yeah, I can put the, my phone on it. All the right. second time I got it last, uh, when was it? October? I don't know. <clears throat> That baby, that second line showed up like right away. <laughs> right, it's like a strep test or a pregnancy yeah. test. Like if you're a little yes. bit pregnant, you're you're yeah. pregnant, and it shows you right away. So, well, I'll keep you posted. Give us a heads up next time. <laughs> <laughs> Sticking stuff up your nose. Like- Sheesh. Well, you just heard it in Steve's news. After 84 years, the iconic Old Log Theater is unexpectedly shutting down. It's the oldest continuously run professional theater in the state. The owners announced the closure uh, uh, Tuesday and the last day of operation will be March 2nd. Adam, have you been to the Old Log Theater and will it be missed in the state? I have not been to the Old Log Theater. You know, uh, sadly, ashamedly, I, there's not, I haven't been to too many, like... Live theaters. <clears throat> because the nature of entertainment has changed. I, I yeah. don't know if it's sad. Like, if you're not a live theater person, then you're not a live theater person. I often feel guilty about this when I say, like, I'm not really a musical person. Yep. People busting out into song in mm-hmm. the middle of a, a play or a movie, <clears throat> I find that to be silly. And people, oh, you're not cultured. You, you don't really know what good art is. Okay, but it doesn't speak to me. So if you're not a theater person, that's why you haven't been. You know, I, mm-hmm. so don't feel bad about it. There are just other forms of that's entertainment the, that you prefer. To, correct, but that's that being said, when I do go to live theater, I always mm-hmm. I'm, with very few exceptions, I'm always in like blown away like, man, I should do this more often because it's so I, That's I, fair. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. the only I've walked out of like a production only one time in my whole life and Ooh, what was it? It was Frankenstein when it was at it was at the Guthrie and not the main Guthrie stage. It was in mm-hmm. one of the smaller ones. We got free tickets. And it was like this very avant-garde version of Frankenstein and Jen and I were there. We're like, yeah, I think it's time to go. Just, it's well, not we're for not you. not getting it. That's okay. You know, that's fine, right? right. That's okay. The each is yeah. over. I get it. So to clarify, you're just you're happy that the old log theater is closing down. You don't care <laughs> yeah, at all, right? Okay. Well, it's one less option for me as I start on my acting that's career. Right. That's that's a problem for me. 
Beyond Meat is revamping its signature plant-based burger, hoping that healthier ingredients will help boost lagging sales in the U.S. The California-based company said today that its new Beyond Meat patties and Beyond Meat ground meat or whatever they call it, ground products, uh, will now have 60% less saturated fat. They're switching from canola oil to coconut oil and (laughs) avocado oil, and the new products will also have less sodium and more protein to be able to get those products later this spring. Jor, as a practicing vegan, do Mm -hmm. you think that um, making Beyond Meat a little healthier is going to help their sales? Yeah, for sure. I you know, look, uh, the Beyond Meat people who say, "Oh, it doesn't taste like meat." Okay, but those of us who are eating it don't necessarily expect it to taste just like meat. If we wanted it to taste like meat, we'd still be eating meat. It is a very good substitute, and I will tell you this: being vegan now for a few months, you it it is enough of a similarity that you feel like you're eating a burger because yeah. I haven't had one in so long. That for me, it's enough. It's very satisfying. When you put all the chazarai on top of it, it feels like a burger. Yeah. You know, it has the same mouthfeel, the consistency, all of that stuff. Plus, so, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, your mind changes. Like, so, yeah, that first time you have it, it's like, okay, this is kind of different. But pretty soon you come to accept that that's, acceptable. that's right. what a burger tastes like to me. And like a burger, you put the avocado or you put the caramelized onions or you put the ketchup and the pickles. Oh, you put it all on it. Yeah. Th- that's what you taste. And it's delicious. Oh, I love caramelized um, So onions. the fact... I didn't even realize they were making it with canola oil. Um, Mm -hmm. The fact that they're now going to make it even healthier, I think is fantastic. Because at some point when you decide that you're going to stop eating meat, like maybe everybody has different reasons. Maybe it was for environmental reasons. So you didn't really care that it had some processed stuff. But eventually it does become about your health. It is a healthier way to eat if you're not eating so many animal products. So Yes, I think this is a great thing. I will happily welcome this, and I will continue eating them uh, and welcome the new changes. Uh, Now to something a little less healthy. Red Lobster's endless shrimp promotion apparently led to deep losses, and the company is still trying to dig out from those losses. (laughs) Red Lobster reported a $12.5 million loss during the operating of the fourth quarter last year when fans were digging in on all that all-you-can-eat shrimp. Apparently, uh, people would go to Red Lobster just for the point of uh, uh, overindulging in the all-you-can-eat shrimp. Adam, have you ever done something like that, like intentionally exploited an offer at a restaurant um, to get more of uh, whatever they're offering and less of? I remember being on a high school baseball trip where we went to an all-you-can-eat, and I forget what, it might have been shrimp or some, where, (laughs) and we were in high school, but we had, like, bags, and we were filling up our bags with, like, Mm. they just kept bringing plates of, yeah, like I said, I think it was shrimp, and and I don't, yeah, it was an incredible waste, but aren't, like, all-you-can-eat, don't they, I mean, isn't that kind of the point, is to... And I guess it's sad, but to be wasteful, it's like because they got to prepare probably tons of it, and I can't imagine it all gets eaten. So, and I, I assume this is like fried shrimp, right? Like, no, I think you have options. I think oh, there's really? like four or five different kinds. Or? You can, oh, I'd like this one or that one or whatever. That's something you don't want to go overboard on, too, though. Like, man, too many shrimp, and then you get sick from it, and then you don't <laughs> eat shrimp ever again. See, I love shrimp. In fact, I was. I'm gonna get some shrimp tonight because I'm on a shrimp kick, but no, I've there's a limit for me. So, 
Um, I haven't. I, I haven't done the. All, I don't know that I've ever been to a place that was all you can eat. All you can eat, and um, like yeah, never, you've never in your life been to a like a all you can eat buffet ever. Well, I mean, I'm sure in Vegas I have been. Yeah. You know, like they do like breakfast buffets, right? Yep. Isn't that what they do? Oh, sure. Yeah, you can go uh, up as many times as you want. Get as many places. So as you want. I mean, maybe I have, but I was not trying to game the system. <laughs> yeah. You know, I got to be honest. They're not losing any money on me. They're making money on me. Uh, Jordana, you just got back from Spain, as we covered in the first hour. You loved it. You raved about the street life and uh, mm-hmm. food and all the other things. Uh, whenever I get back from a trip, I think I've checked off one thing from my list and added a few others. So my question for you is, what was added to your list? What do you feel like you want to go back and experience, whether it's Spain or elsewhere in Europe? Yeah, Spain, you know, we didn't get to Barcelona uh, we, I would like, but, but I would, we flew through Amsterdam and Amsterdam is a city that I'd really like to see. So I'd like to spend more time, I guess, in the Netherlands and experience that the, the it looks, it lo- again, we only got to, there, there are a couple of historic places that I would certainly like to see there. Um, I mean, I loved Spain, so I would definitely go back, but Amsterdam, that needs to be on the list as well. And then, you know, like Adam, like Iceland or Greenland, I've never experienced that, but I think I would have to do sort of like an old person's tour of that, like, you know, the bus tour or the cruise or something like that, because um, I don't know anything about those countries, and I would want somebody to plan out the whole thing and kind of schlep me around. I've got a deal for you, Jordana. Iceland with uh, Colette and myself, October 17th. There you go. Like, I would need to do a tour with Colette, and I would eventually do that. But honestly, I was so – I had no expectations, but I was so impressed with Europe and the, what, what we experienced. And maybe it's because my kid's living there, and she loves Madrid, and she's so happy there. And my kids speak the language, so it's fun to watch them use their Spanish. Um, I will say this. The, um, the bathrooms are very small. Every time we sat down on the toilet, yeah. the knees would hit the wall. <laughs> like everything is is very. I don't know how large men, possibly, or large women, uh, get along there because everything is very small. What do you think of the Amsterdam Airport? It's lovely. It, it, oh it, really? It, it's okay. See, I must have been. Why in a bad you thought spot. it was a oh, hole? It was a dump. Like where I, I must have been oh. in a bad part of it. it I think you were. Dump. You must have been in the old park because yeah. I've been there too, and it's yeah. nice. It's oh, a very okay. nice airport. Uh, bugs. Oh, yeah. Would you eat bugs on a regular basis, Miss Vegan? Does that count? Can you and eat the bugs? results of my COVID test? Oh. The results of my COVID test. Next. Uh-oh. I'm. A, are you doing it? Well, I'm vegan now, and I'm not doing it. And what we're talking about, of course, is eating bugs as the new protein. Now, now, don't blow it off, because this is actually a very good solution. Because many people no, decide that they're not going to eat meat. No. Because of the environmental impact that cows have on the environment and and farming the land, all of that. I I get it. People do it for different reasons. I I don't judge whatever reasons you do or do not do it. I don't judge people who eat meat. You do you. Okay? But now, the Mighty Cricket is a company that makes protein products out of bugs. And they have a giant grant to research how this is going to get into our food system to basically turn consumer waste into cricket feed, then use the ground up crickets raised exclusively on human consumption, they say, as a sustainable protein option. Mm. I am not eating this. No. Are you? No. 
What you you said you teased us with your test results? Are you? Uh, oh my gosh! Okay, I don't have COVID. Okay, I'm so sorry. He said, I, was like, uh, I don't have COVID because you didn't say anything. I'm like, oh no! I like, okay, no. good. Well, we got that out of the way. As far as I know, I do not. Have no, COVID. I know that people in a you know there's like we're, people have been eating bugs for since we had people and bugs. People have been eating bugs, and uh, and it's not even necessarily the 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 detesting that ugh, it's bugs. It's just like. I, it's the actually it's the bugs that are feeding on human waste already, and then turning that into food that I have a problem with. That's because I, gotcha. I remember being a kid and going. I think it was at the Dodge Nature mm-hmm. Center. We ate dandelions, and we also ate deep fried. Uh, maybe they were grasshoppers or crickets at the time, and it was like, oh, you know, you deep fry anything, it's going to taste deep fried. Correct. But mm-hmm. and I'm not opposed to like in a certain circumstance, like hey, this is made with a little bug puree or something. I'll taste it. But no, I don't mm-hmm. see myself sustaining myself with uh, bugs, especially ones that eat human waste. Yeah, and again, they're also talking about creating cricket farms. Like, really? Do we need bug bug farms? I understand this would be on a much smaller scale than actual regular farms. Uh, and they said that the bugs have plenty of place, you know, to move around. Like, we're worried about how now the crickets are going to be treated on these farms. I'm, I'm less worried about the crickets than the chickens or the cows, but maybe that's me being ignorant about crickets' lives. Um, th- th- but this isn't going to do it for me. This this is not doing it for me. I, I feel like we could find enough <clears throat> plant-based protein. There are plenty of um, vegetables you know that and and plants that have protein in them and i don't necessarily think that uh, even i as a vegan would resort to to the crickets look if i was in the forest foraging for food and after a plane crash and it was the only way i would survive right. i would probably die within 12 hours cuz i would have a panic attack and that would end me i would never survive on my own but in that situation, would I eat a bug? Maybe. I don't know. I hope I'm never in that situation. But I um, yeah, the crickets is not going to be a thing for me. Somebody says free range bugs. I only eat free range bugs. I don't free need range these, bugs. I don't need these cricket farmed uh, farmed crickets. No, I'm a, wild mean. wild caught crickets for me. Dave, on all your extensive travels <laughs> all over the world, have you eaten bugs anywhere? Oh, certainly I've eaten bugs. Yeah, uh, okay. and I think you guys are very close minded and ignorant about this topic. <gasps> to be honest. Oh, no. Because right, every like every new uh, chapter of society throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia, have eaten new things that the past, you know, their ancestors would have thought were gross. And food habit, just like culture, changes all the time. And there are things we eat now that you know people two hundred years ago would think are gross. Right. Think of all the chemicals and colors and all sorts of we put right. in our bodies and. In many ways, you could call those, quote-unquote, icky or gross. So for us to sit here and say, absolutely not, in 50 or 100 years, we are not going to be eating bugs. That's gross. Mm -hmm. I just, like, I don't know if that's the answer, but I'll tell you what. Whatever we are eating in 100 years, some of that we would think is gross now. You're trying to Mm -hmm. tell me my bag of Funyuns is not as healthy as eating (laughs) deep-fried bugs? That's exactly what I'm telling you. He is right. The stuff that we put in our bodies... Is an atrocity. Yeah, and you're oh turning God. your totally. nose up at like a, yeah, at a cricket full of protein. Delicious. I just, I, I can't. Maybe in a hundred years, or maybe my kids will be fine with crickets. It's me. I just can't go there. Um, 
I just can't. Yeah, Adam, by the way, we, we saw a giant uh, cockroach in the oh, Amsterdam God. airport yesterday. Oh, so my. we did see that. You just said the Amsterdam airport. Oh, no, it's <laughs> great. We saw a cockroach. You failed to mention you, that. You jogged my memory. You made oh, me think about it. And, God. And Adam, they look a little bit like, or David, they look a little bit like these crickets. And I was thinking, oh, mm, okay, delish. no, I am not putting that on a, a bun. Okay, but I'm just not, I know this is ground up powder. I get it. I'm just not doing it. I, okay, but some again, you know some radio host a hundred years ago yeah. said, "Ah, oh, these <clears throat> new fancy horseless carriages. I'm never ever going to trust that." <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> oh my God, the horseless carriages! That that is actually hilarious. Well, David, but you just brought up uh, yesterday. You brought up a Womney, right? Yes. And apparently, somebody just texted in that they have f- crickets there, uh-huh. fried crickets there. Yeah, of course. Oh. Yeah, they do. There and it is. Some... Popcorn crickets. You know so what? you're not going to go to a Womney no, and try popcorn? No, I said I, said I would try it. Okay. I just no, don't know about you know, do being fully sustainable off bugs alone. Somebody no, also I'm texted in. Uh, have you seen the guy who had 150 bugs in his navel cavity and sinuses? It was news yesterday. I made the mistake. Uh, uh, I clicked on that video. And no. Just no. your little advice to you. Don't no. do it. All right. Sorry. No. Yeah, that's gross. And remember, he was in Florida. So already things that come out of weird stuff happens there. So no, absolutely not. Uh, And somebody texted in and said, if you eat peanut butter, you are eating bugs. There's even a government standard for how many bugs are allowed in it. Here's the deal. I'm sure when we eat fruit, by the way, friends, that we pick off a blueberry bush when we walk by, of course, there's some, you know, bug poop or bugs or what. Of course, there are things on it. When we eat fresh salads, that happens all the time. I don't know, but the peanut butter... You know, peanuts grow in, you know, they're natural. So I get it that there's going to be some kind, but I think there's a difference between human feces-fed, ground-up crickets and peanut butter. So for me, it's a hard pass. 1031, Um, we are a hard pivot here because we're bringing up a very serious subject next about suicide. A couple of the topics that we want to raise with a a guest we've had on before, uh, Dan Reidenberg with uh, SAVE, Mm -hmm. uh, Managing Director for the National Council of Suicide Prevention and the Special Advisor to the International Association of Suicide Prevention. A couple of topics we'll uh, get to uh, with uh, Dan next. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Mental health is something that we talk about often here on the Adam and Jordana show. It is a very safe space for people to share, uh, to come together, and to maybe even uh, get some assistance. So when I saw this piece in the New York Times this morning, I was actually shocked. I read that nine out of 10 people who attempt suicide and fail, so they, it, they don't go through with it, or somehow something goes wrong, do not eventually die by suicide. They go on to live healthy lives. And I thought, oh my gosh, there, how many more lives could be saved by preventing these suicides? And then, boy, how do we do that? 
lots of questions for our next guest. Dr. Dan Reidenberg is with the National Council for Suicide Prevention. He is a special advisor to the International Association for Suicide Prevention and a consultant to the World Health Organization. We are so lucky to have him in our community and have him as a frequent guest on the show. Dan, we're so happy to have you back on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. So this shocked me because I assumed if people attempt suicide, they really feel like this is something they want to do. They, you know, their problems are insurmountable. And and if they don't let let's say a suicide attempt fails or they survive somehow, um, that they would try it again because they're at the end of their rope and don't see a way out. But when I read that 90 percent of them go on to to not, you know, to to live normal, healthy lives. I was shocked. So talk to us about that stat. How is that? Well, it, it, it's an old stat, and it comes from very old data, but it still remains pretty true. If we can get somebody through a suicidal crisis, uh, whether that's just a serious thought or it is an actual attempt, we tend to find that they don't reattempt. Uh, hmm. they, may have a, they may have another thought about suicide, but most of the time, they go on and do exactly what you said. They go on to lead a normal, healthy, functioning life. So it is that moment of suicidal crisis that is the, the key where we have to really try to intervene and prevent the death. And how are we at doing that? I, but we've talked to you, like I said, Dan, we've talked to you several times, and obviously it's very troubling the number of, of mm-hmm. suicides we still see. How good are we, uh, specifically in this country, at recognizing that and then doing something about it so it doesn't get to that point? Uh, Good question, complicated question. Uh, We are getting better at recognizing it, but we're still not very good at it. Uh, Here in this country and around the world, now we have seen increases in numbers of deaths by suicide in our country, whereas in some other countries, particularly in, in parts of Europe, uh, even in Japan, uh, we've seen decreases in suicides. But in terms of the recognition that somebody might be in a crisis, we are getting better at that. The big problem is is that we're not good at predicting who is going to die by suicide. We're actually pretty bad at that. But if we can identify some warning signs and some risk factors that we put together with conversations with those people, uh, we have a better chance at saving them. Before we talk about those risk factors, I want to go back to what you just said, that in the United States, suicide rates have risen, and they have, according to the Times, about 35% over the last 20 years. About 50,000 people annually are dying in the U.S. by suicide. But in other countries, in other you know wealthy countries, the suicide rate has been dropping steadily. So what is happening in the U.S. that's different than happening in other countries? So, uh, interesting you asked that. Uh, the BBC just put out a story about that, uh, that they asked me the same question uh, that came out this morning. We have to, we have to parse apart, uh, the data apart just a little bit on that. In the United States, we have what's called the National Violent Death Reporting System, NVDRS. And we actually have it in Minnesota as well. Uh, almost all the states have that now. That gives us a little bit better data than other countries have. So when we when we look at some of the, the data and the statistics, it may be that we're collecting better data and we're doing it in a more consistent fashion in the United States, mm. which which sadly could mean that we're seeing that, that number go up. 
But in other countries, because they're not collecting it the same way, they may be seeing numbers staying stagnant or going down a little bit. It's, it's a lot in the reporting. But we do know that um, the challenges that we have in the United States around lack of access to care, uh, lack of access to hospital beds, cost of care, just the delay in getting into treatment creates problems. The biggest problem that we tend to focus on in the United States is access to firearms. Firearms is about 52% of all the deaths by suicide in this country. And it's, it's, it's like that in this country, no other place in the world. Uh, where firearms are more restricted, we see less deaths by suicide. It doesn't mean that there aren't deaths. It's just that when somebody uh, uses a firearm, it tends to be lethal, and it tends to happen very, very quickly versus some other methods of death. So there are a number of contributing factors to those numbers. But let me just add in one piece of good news. Uh, if we actually look at the data in Minnesota, in 2017, for example, uh, the rate of suicide in Minnesota was 13.8 per 100,000. That means we lost almost 14 per 100,000 people in this state. In 2021, it was 14.2. We didn't see a dramatic increase. If we go back mm. to 1950 in this state, in 1950, the rate was 11.8. So the difference is about three, the number three. So we have to be really, really uh, careful in how we think about rates versus numbers. The numbers are going up, the actual numbers of deaths, but the rate per 100,000 people has remained very stable actually over 100 years. We are talking to Dr. Dan Reidenberg with the uh, National Council for Suicide Prevention. You mentioned the firearms, and forgive me if uh, I'm springing this question on you, but it's top of mind right now with what we've seen. And Clearly, stories like this make the news where somebody who uh, maybe uh, wants to take their own life decides to commit violent acts and on others and maybe kills other people before they take their own lives. Can you tell me, Dan, is that something that is being researched, investigated as something as a different kind of mindset than sadly someone who is just in despair on their own and decides to take their own lives? but rather takes other, commits other acts of violence first. How much do we know about that, and how much is that being investigated? Uh, it, is, it is studied. It is not studied uh, to the same degree that we have specifically around suicides the way we typically think of suicides, because most of the suicides um, are not murder suicides. Uh, and when we do have those instances, it is tragically very similar to the recent one where it's a domestic violent incident where uh, a male partner takes the life of, of a female and possibly the children. That's a pretty small number um, not even 1% compared to all of the suicides that occur. So it is studied, but it's not studied to the same degree. Uh, we also have suicide by cop uh, that, that is uh, a phenomenon that, that we do know happen. Again, it's very rare, but it does happen. And we're seeing that uh, in increasing rates, I would say, in the last 10 years, more than we have before. But uh, these are both situations where, um, the, the suicide ends up getting lost in the conversation and the, mm -hmm. the mental health challenge that the, that, that the many people involved, not just the, the perpetrator, but also the victims are struggling with, gets lost. You talked uh, a bit before about pre prevention. I mean, is this something that is preventable? Because uh, I'm also reading in these studies that suicides often happen 
in a very short decision-making experience. Like somebody may be depressed or may have had suicidal thoughts, but doesn't actually ever act on those thoughts until either one bad day or one thing goes wrong in their life. And then it is a very, and please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Dr. Reidenberg, but that, that they're just having a bad moment and they make that choice to commit suicide, whereas maybe had they gotten help. So talk to us about uh, prevention. What can we do? What, what should we be looking for? Well, you're exactly right. Uh, we do tend to know that uh, there is some impulsivity uh, that's connected with suicides. And about half of the people who die by suicide make the final decision to take their life within about 10 minutes. It's about 20 to 25% within five minutes. So this this 10-minute period is very, very critical because often the people are alone. There's nobody else around, and they don't reach out, not because they don't want to. It's because they literally can't. Their brain is um, sadly hyper-focused on getting out of the pain that it's in. So it doesn't think about calling a loved one and trying to get some support. It's just, how can I get out of this pain? So it's looking for a method to take their life. So we do know that um, if we could intervene more quickly in these crisis moments, we'd be better off. What that means is lethal means restriction. And this is where the, the article in the New York Times today about the barrier at the Golden Gate Bridge and some of the other bridges in this country come about. Because we know that if we can intervene, if we can stop in that moment of crisis, we have a very good chance of preventing a death. Now, this prevention uh, through lethal means is not just firearms. It is bridge barriers. It is barriers in high buildings, uh, parking facilities. It is pills and prescriptions and how prescriptions are given out by pharmacies and by doctors. It's also about things at home that parents can do and people can do, loved ones, spouses can do if they know somebody's in a suicidal crisis, just by Mm. keeping that, that lethal means away from somebody in that moment of crisis, we tend to see that suicide is very preventable. Shock and that five to ten. I'm, I'm still stunned by that figure, and I guess I've I've never heard that before uh, about the five to ten minute window, and that is just yeah. Uh, I think about that decision you make and just how critical that is to to get somebody in that short uh, time frame. It is. It is. If we can, the the suicidal mind uh, waxes and wanes, and as it gets closer and closer to death, it gets to this place where it finally makes this very tragic decision. And it's that very short amount of time that we have an opportunity to get to somebody. And that means it's all of us. It's not a doctor. It's not an ER. Um, it is whoever is around that person who has access to that person that can help immediately. Uh, and once we get them through that crisis, this, this suicidal mind tends to uh, get better. It tends to get through the moment, and it says, I, I can do this. I, I can get through it the next time. And so it starts to build up some strength and some resiliency. Mm. It's just that we, 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 we tend to lose people um, on the very first attempt, uh, especially young people, uh, versus seniors. Um, uh, well, uh, young people will attempt multiple times, but, but about 40% die in the first attempt. Uh, so we, we need to make sure that we catch them in this very critical moment and just listen, just be compassionate, and then get them to some support and some help. Dr. Dan Reidenberg, we so appreciate your expertise. Thank you so much. And by the way, uh, for people looking for help, should they contact the National Council for Suicide Prevention? Should they just do the, uh, the, fo- the, the three-digit phone line? What is the best option? 
Uh, yes, they, they can be kept to the National Council, but really 988 is the, mm-hmm. the National Suicide uh, Crisis and Emotional Distress Line, and anybody can call it 24 hours a day. It's free. It's anonymous. And uh, it is a great service for anybody that's looking for help, uh, either themselves or for somebody else. So 988 is the perfect number for people to call. Dan, thank Dr. you so Reidenberg. much. Yeah, appreciate the time, and uh, thank you so much for that information. Lots to, uh, to digest here. We, we mm-hmm. appreciate it. Thank you. Dan Reidenberg, uh, the National Council for Suicide Prevention. Let's take a break. I think we'll keep talking about this, getting some good text, yeah. and we've got a lot to react to next on CCO. Some powerful responses to segments when we talk about really hard things like suicide. And Adam and I have been very open about the times that we suffer uh, with mental health or health in general. Uh, So thank you, by the way, for sharing. And Adam, I hope it's okay that I share this. Somebody texted us this text. 24 years ago, I was literally within an arm's length of committing suicide. I don't know what stopped me. But today, I'm glad I didn't go through with it. I'm now married to the sweetest, most beautiful woman I've ever known. And I have wonderful family and friends around me who are supportive if I ever need them. I have survived some very tough times in my life. Glad to be alive from Anonymous. God bless. And we're glad you're here, yes. too, by the way. But that, I have chills thinking about that. Well, I have chills about that, that. I've never heard that. And I can't believe I haven't heard that figure that it's a yeah. five to ten minute window where yes. someone makes that decision and then actually acts through mm-hmm. it. And get, I, I'm sorry. And I I'm, not, I'm not making this political, but what it, that's mm-hmm. guns, man. That oh. is, uh, you got a gun, and guns work, too. So if you make that decision, you've got a gun handy, you use it, and that's sadly what it is. That's why the rates are higher here than in any other country, too. Mm-hmm. Just is. Mm-hmm. It's access. It is. Uh, we're going to change it up in the next in the next segment. Thank you for sharing that conversation with us. We do really feel that it is important to keep those conversations going. We'll talk Girl Scouts next. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.